and occasionally he presented negative sources in a positive light, often by missing obvious sarcasm. His tendency to overlook or discount Stanton's administrative mistakes and his failure to assess the impact of Stanton's divisive departmental and interdepartmental scheming undermines Hyman's complimentary estimate of Stanton's service in three administrations. Hyman apparently did not consider that Stanton might have misrepresented James Buchanan in order to ingratiate his new Republican friends, or that his battle with Andrew Johnson served his own interests. Frequent misreading of the evidence may have reflected the posthumous handoff of Thomas's notes, which predated the era of photocopiers. That offered abundant opportunity for accumulated misunderstanding which seems rife in Hyman's biography, where errors and omissions run from the amusing to the disturbing. In one instance, because of a correspondence colloquial reference to dropping in on the Macy tribe on Nantucket, Hyman supposed that Stanton visited an Indian village instead of the Quaker Macy family from which he was descended. Elsewhere, Hyman asserted that Stanton feared Johnson wanted to use the U.S. Army to suppress Congress, but he documented that claim with two letters from Oliver Morton and John Pope that have no relation to so alarming a prospect. In 2009, David Stewart repeated Hyman's unsupported claim more stridently in his book on Johnson's impeachment, demonstrating the general danger of relying on secondary sources for factual information and illustrating how Hyman's book has distorted the interpretation of that era over the past half-century. Scores of documentary discussions of such errors, amounting to a small book by themselves, have been removed from the notes in the editing process because of their sheer volume. The lenience of Hyman's treatment inevitably exaggerates any contrast with a critical portrait, and many who have been influenced by his biography will think me too harsh on Stanton. The preponderance of testimony suggests that, at least in his public life, Stanton tended to be insincere, devious, and dedicated to self-preservation. Some of the evidence comes from acquaintances who were not hostile to him, or who were even friendly, and some is in his own hand. When studied with the skepticism that is as important in history as it is in journalism, Edwin Stanton's legacy shines less brightly, suggesting a need to re-examine his relations with those near him. Stanton's close collaborator, Joseph Holt, seems undeserving of the gleaming armor he wore in Elizabeth Leonard's recent biography, while Stanton's assistant secretary, Charles Dana, comes away tainted with unbecoming portions of self-interest, hypocrisy, and vindictiveness. President Lincoln's association with Stanton endures a measure of reappraisal as well. The dearth of reliable information on Stanton's early development poses an irksome impediment to a definitive examination of his life. As might be expected of someone born during the presidency of James Madison, no contemporary observations of the young Stanton survive. 
All glimpses of his youth suffer from conscious or subliminal recognition of his ultimate achievements and his established public image. Like most reminiscences, and particularly those involving Lincoln and his immediate associates, many of those vignettes convey a distinct air of invention or exaggeration designed to inflate the role of the raconteurs. The private Stanton remains largely hidden, except to those willing to accept memoir accounts, some of which border on the ludicrous. It is mainly circumstantial evidence that suggests what might have spawned chronic insecurity in a man of such obvious intelligence, who rose to such prominence and gained so much acclaim. That he was afflicted with deep insecurity seems clear, unless one denies all the evidence of Stanton's sycophancy, double-dealing.